Hey, this is Jerry Aiken, pastor at Pierce Chapel in Columbus, Georgia. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast, wherever you may be. I hope that you find the word presented here engaging, informative, and challenging in your walk with Christ. Please check us out online at piercechapel.com. Today's scripture comes from the Gospel of John. I'll be reading from chapter 11, verses 1 through 15. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, The one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews were there, tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, He went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Claire and I were recounting this story to someone this past week. I'm going to tell it to you because it's been on my mind and it it pertains to to this in in a way. Back in 2019, I was appointed, I had been serving at a church in Macon, and I was appointed to to move in in June to a church in Vienna, Georgia. And so as we were preparing for that move, all of the stuff that comes with that was happening. You know, securing the U-Haul, getting all the stuff packed up and moved in, and just, you know, you, you feel like you're living upside down for months, really, when you're in that process of moving. And then at the same time, you're wanting to, to end well at the church that you're leaving, and you're wanting to get off to a good start at the church you're coming into, and go ahead and get to know those people. And, and, and so there's a whole lot happening all at one time. And Claire and I made the decision, we've got to have some time away. We've got to take a break. We've got to spend some time with our kids, get away as a family uh, with our dog, you know, just create some memories together, even if it's just for for four or five days and, and just get a breather before we launch into this next chapter of our lives. So we decided to go where we almost always go, which is Jekyll Island. That's our, our favorite vacation spot. But as I was looking at it, I was realizing Spending money on a hotel room for five days is probably not the best thing right now. Maybe we should uh, explore some other options. 
And we came up with this bright idea that we were going to camp in a tent on Jekyll Island at the campground for three days and then check into a hotel room for the last two days. Now, some of you are laughing, so you probably already know how this was going. Uh, but it seemed like a good idea at the time uh, for us to get in this six by six small tent with both of our kids and a dog and, and sleep there for, uh, for three days. If you know anything about the campground at Jekyll Island, you know that it exists under this canopy of beautiful live oaks. And when you're standing back here and you're looking at it, it's very pretty. But once you get into it, you realize that that canopy is really just a dome that holds in all the humidity. Like all the humidity in Georgia is, is in that dome. <laughs> And so we set up camp there, and, uh, and we decided this is our spot, and we're going to stay here, and we're going to sleep on the hard floor. We brought some air mattresses, but whatever. <laughs> and we had our dog in there with us, and it was just miserable for three days. Never mind the fact that we're leaving there to go to the beach and get sandy and get you know sunscreen. And there were bathhouses where we could shower, and we took advantage of that. But it was almost pointless because as soon as we would shower, we'd start sweating again. And we were just so miserable. After those three days, we gladly packed up the tent. And we went uh, to the hotel room. And Claire and I uh, turned on. First thing we did, uh, we, we both took showers. And then we turned on the AC as low as it would go. And we climbed into the, the bed in the hotel room. And we just stayed there for about two days until, until it was time to go home. <laughs> that trip went nothing like how we had planned. Now, it was still a good trip. We still made some great memories. We still had a fun time. Uh, but it was nothing like what we imagined. And it makes me think about discipleship because sometimes we have this idea that when we follow Jesus, it's going to be smooth sailing. It's going to be easy. We know how this is going to go. God is going to lead us into these beautiful new places and down these wonderful avenues. And, and he does. He leads us into paths of righteousness for his name's sake. But sometimes that journey he calls us into is a lot more difficult than what we imagined. And when he called his disciples to follow him, he told every one of them, you're going to have to drop the thing you're doing, the thing you're clinging on to, the thing that gives you comfort. For the fishermen, it was their nets. For Matthew, it was his, his table. Uh, he told the, the young rich man who wanted to follow him, you've got to give away all of your possessions to the poor. Whatever it is, it's going to keep you from following me to the cross because Jesus knew where he was going. He said, you have to be willing to let go of it and follow me. That's what discipleship is. And that's what Lent is. It's a season where we deliberately think about that journey of discipleship. Yes, we are Easter people. Yes, we have the hope of resurrection that we are always living with. But we are still making that journey to the cross with Jesus, knowing that he is on mission and we are on mission with him. And sometimes it's going to require some challenges. Sometimes it's going to require some difficulty and some unexpected occurrences. Jesus, in this passage that I just read you, uh, is, uh, is told that his friend Lazarus is sick, and he feels the urge to, to go back. Now, he waits. 
That's part of the plan. He says he waits a few days because he knows that if he waits, it's going to be done the right way. It's going to give God the glory. But eventually he's going to have to go back towards Jerusalem. Now, he he had just fled Jerusalem. Just a few days earlier, they were trying to stone him there. They were trying to kill him and kill his disciples. And so they crossed the Jordan and they were down. They were a few days away. They were a few days journey away from the Jerusalem area. So when he says, we're going back there, his disciples said, are you serious? They just tried to kill us there. We are safe here. Let's lay low for a while, Jesus. Why are we going to go back there? And of course, they didn't understand what was happening with Lazarus, but they said, there is no reason for us to risk it. There's no reason for us to go back. But Jesus knew he had to go back for a few reasons. First of all, this was the time of the Passover. If you were a Jew, you went to Jerusalem for the Passover. You, you made that journey because it was part of your spiritual pilgrimage every year. But at the same time, he also knew that he had to be there for Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He had work to do that was going to bring God the glory. And he also knew that there was a sacrifice that was going to have to be made. Yes, the religious leaders were plotting to kill him. But he knew that if he was going to accomplish the mission that he was set here to do, he had to step into that uncertainty. And so Jesus told his disciples, we're on to Jerusalem. I know you're fearful. I know you're worried about the past. I know you're worried about what just happened. I know you're worried about the location. I know there's a lot of uncertainty. Things don't look clear, but we are on to Jerusalem. That's what we have to do. That's where God is calling us to go. It reminds me of a football team back in 2014 who experienced some some hardship. The New England Patriots had been a dynasty for 13 years at this point. And had the legendary Tom Brady as their quarterback. And about four games into the season that year, they got absolutely blown out. I can't remember if it was Sunday night football or Monday night football. But they got beat by the Chiefs 41-14. to It was embarrassing. All three phases of the game, the Patriots just looked pitiful. It was so bad that they benched Tom Brady. Let that sink in for a minute. They benched Tom Brady. It was so bad. And after the game, all the talking heads and the announcers started saying, uh, this is it for the Patriots. They had a great year, 13 13 years of being great, but Brady has lost it. The coach, Bill Belichick, he's lost it. They're not going to be able to win anymore in this league. This was a passing of the torch. It's over for the Patriots. And in the post-game press conference, Bill Belichick stood up there at the podium And one reporter after another asked the questions. What does this mean for the future? What was wrong with your defense? What is wrong with Tom Brady? Are you going to bench Brady and start another quarterback from now on? What is this over for? Is it over for your dynasty? And for every question that was asked, Bill Belichick gave the same response over and over again. We're on to Cincinnati. That's who they were playing the following week. What he was saying is we can't dwell on what just happened. We can't worry about the future based on what we just saw. We can't be wringing our hands and saying, oh, it's all over now. We have a goal in front of us, and our mission isn't over. 
We are pressing on. We're on to Cincinnati. And the following week, the Patriots played Cincinnati and beat them very easily, 43-17, to 17, just one week after losing in such embarrassing fashion. And this started a new winning streak throughout the season. They just kept winning and winning and winning, and they won the Super Bowl that year. And not only that, but they wound up winning three Super Bowls, three more Super Bowls after this embarrassing loss to the Chiefs. But it all started with that message. We're on to Cincinnati. Yes, I know where we've been. I know what happened. I know that you're probably worried about some of the things that you saw there, but there's a goal that we have to pursue. We are on to Cincinnati. And that was the same mission Jesus was putting in front of his disciples. We are on to Jerusalem. I know things look bleak. I know things look bad. I know that you're scared about what the future holds, but we have stuff to accomplish. God has a path for us that we need to step into. And Jesus makes that same invitation to us, his disciples today. You may have been through some stuff. You may have some uncertainty. You may have some doubt. You may be living in fear. But there's a mission to be accomplished. And that mission is walking into the path that God has called us to walk into, whatever that may look like. And Jesus knew that if he was going to do what he wanted his disciples to do, if he was going to be faithful to God's leading, he had to go to Jerusalem. And that way to Jerusalem led him through this village of Bethany where Lazarus was. And he knew that as he got there, he was going to be hit with some heavy emotions. It's in this same chapter of the Bible we get the shortest verse in all of Scripture. Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five. Now, when I was a kid in Sunday school, I learned that this was the shortest verse in the Bible. And anytime our Sunday school teacher would say things like, well, a prize for whoever can quote a scripture, quote a Bible verse for us, all the smart aleck boys would raise their hand and say, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And yes, it's the shortest verse in the Bible, but it is so profound. Those two words, Jesus wept, because it tells us that Jesus experienced all the pain and all the grief that we experience when we live in this life. Jesus knew what that hurt was like. Yes, he knew that Lazarus was going to come back to life. Yes, he knew that everybody was about to be celebrating like like they never had before. But the heaviness of that moment, walking back into Bethany and encountering that grief on people that he loved, thinking about his friend Lazarus laying there motionless, lifeless in the tomb, Jesus was hit with grief. And Jesus wept. And he knew that journey to the cross for him was going to take him through some grief. He had to step into grief. He had to step into the unknown. And this was, this was mostly what the disciples were concerned about, was the unknown. If they were plotting to kill us last time, what do you think they're going to do this time? We're just stepping right back in to danger. You see, they had relocated to a place that they felt was secure. They were on the other side of the Jordan. Nobody could touch them over there. Nobody was trying to stone them. And they said, we're safe here. We know this place is convenient for us. Why do we have to go anywhere? And Jesus said, to follow me means you've got to go into the unknown. 
To follow me means you have to let go of some of your fears and trust that I'm going to lead you where you need to be. Even if that place is a place where you encounter grief and uncertainty and maybe even persecution and maybe even death itself, but that's where I'm going. Come follow me. When I was a teenager, I remember my youth pastor used to use the word stronghold all the time. It was kind of his buzzword. He would always say, what's your stronghold? What's the thing that you can't let go of and is keeping you from being in, in deeper fellowship with God? And we would break out into our small groups and into our accountability groups, and, and we would talk about our strongholds, and it was always a vice. It was always something like, well, I've been watching uh, movies that aren't good, you know, rated R, and it's keeping me from being close to God. Or, or it's my language, you know, I need to watch my language. That's my stronghold. It was always a vice. And sometimes those vices really do keep us from growing closer to God. But as I've gotten older, I've noticed that we have strongholds that aren't necessarily vices. We have all kinds of strongholds. We have comforts that we seek, systems that we find familiarity in, little little pockets of people that, that sort of act as our echo chamber. And we have all these places that we flock to because it keeps us from having to step into the unknown. Or maybe it keeps us from having to worry about things that we're fearful of. But all of those things are strongholds too. And Jesus was saying to his disciples, if you're going to follow me, you've got to go to Jerusalem with me. And if you're going to go to Jerusalem with me, you've got to go through Bethany with me. And you have to experience grief. You have to face this grief head on. You have to face your uncertainty head on. And you're going to have to learn to let go of your fears along the way. So let's talk about what Jesus did when he got there. He got to Bethany. He wept. He stepped into the grief. He stepped into the unknown. But then he did something nobody was expecting. He said, roll the, tomb away, roll the stone away from the tomb. And everybody said, Lord, Lazarus is dead, and he's been dead for days. He stinks. And Jesus said, trust me on this. And as they rolled that tomb away, Jesus called out, Lazarus, come out. And the dead was raised. Lazarus had life breathed back into him and he stepped out. And in that moment, all the heaviness of grief was violently interrupted by unexpected joy. All of the desperation that his family and friends and loved ones had felt just gave way to this whole new hope. Even death itself had given way to new life. And Jesus was saying, as I go to the cross, as I step into grief and into uncertainty and into fear, I hold the keys to life. And you too can experience that victory and that life even as we journey together. Going where Jesus leads means that there will be times when we have to step into the unknown. But guess what? Life is full of unknowns, whether we're following Jesus or not. None of us are guaranteed the next hour of our lives. 
And even if we do make it through the next hour of our lives, we don't know what that life, that, that hour would entail. The only thing we know for certain is that the life we live is uncertain. And anything can happen at a moment's notice. We don't know the future. And, and we, we construct these things that give us comfort and give us hope and kind of bring us into the delusion that we're in control and we know how, how things are going to play out. But the truth is we never do. We will never know the future we are stepping into. But we do know that at some point we're going to encounter grief. At some point, we're going to encounter uncertainty. At some point, there will be things that frighten us and stir up fear within us, especially, especially when we can't see how these things play out. And sometimes we want to play it safe by hiding or by quitting or by finding refuge in familiarity. But Jesus presses on to Jerusalem. His mission keeps moving forward and he tells us to follow him because there is a journey ahead. There is a task at hand. And as we press on with him, we will surrender our fears and surrender our strongholds and the process. Discipleship is never what we've imagined. And sometimes it's more difficult than what we imagined, but sometimes it's much more wonderful than what we imagined because the one who we follow us, who, who we follow is showing us all along that he does bring joy in the midst of our grief and he can give hope in the midst of our desperation and he does hold the power of life and victory in his hands even as we journey to the cross. Please pray with me. Lord, just like the earliest disciples, we are often filled with uncertainty. We are often filled with confusion and sometimes with fear of the unknown. Sometimes we want to play it safe. We want to stay in familiar territory. But you are always on the move. You are always advancing towards the cross so that you can go through the cross and you can emerge from the tomb victorious. And you are always calling us into that journey to follow you. So Lord, whatever our stronghold is, whatever the thing is that we're having trouble letting go of, we ask that you would grant us the grace to surrender fully and freely to you so that we may follow you more passionately, more deliberately, more faithfully, knowing and trusting that even though we will face uncertainty, we will face grief. That's part of life. If we are following you, Lord, you will show us what victory looks like even as we press on towards the goal. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you again for tuning in to our podcast. Please be sure to subscribe and check us out online at piercechapel.com. And now may you know the peace, and the power, and the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ in your life. Go to love, go to serve. 
go in peace. Amen.